if you really, really want to understand this stuff, you can dig in and and and, and get the context of it. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. I'm eating cheese and Hello. <laughs> Karen, you're always eating, but you're so thin. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we have Tracy. Well, I was going to say good morning. Is it still morning? It's okay. still morning. morning. It's still morning. It's just another recording time. Yes, I'm here. It is morning. See, Thank you keep... very much. Yeah, we keep confusing ourselves with how we do this because we're we're in a double session today. Greetings, Earthlings. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and Amy. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it is a it's a it is an interesting interesting morning. We're trying we're trying to do some stuff here. We got a double session going here because, well, we don't want to uh, uh, over inundate. Wow, that's a word. Over inundate you with too much information in one episode and so we're, we're we were kind of splitting some stuff up here and uh to get through the to, to to finish up the book of daniel and so so we're all just going what huh <laughs> we don't know what's going on and yeah i mean you want to talk about confusion so my boys and i later after we have done recording today we're going we're going to go down to a renaissance festival here in colorado and I just happened to walk out into the hallway and my son, my youngest st- son, was standing out there wearing a kilt. And uh, just like, that's awesome. not something you see all the time. Awesome. Yes. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a good morning, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. My boys are. Well, they're wearing my kilt, which is funny, which I, I'm sort of embarrassed to say it don't fit me anymore. But um, <laughs> so they got all my stuff. So it's not like it's not like I'm looking at them as if they're weird. Because they're just wearing all my stuff, and I'm a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun. It's just fun. It's something we enjoy doing. I've been going to a Renaissance festival. Well, I remember going. My parents took me when I was a kid. It was one of those things they probably regret doing now because because uh, <laughs> it's stuck. Yeah, it's stuck. There's a few things. Nerd. There's a few things my parents did with me as kids that they're probably going, "Oh, why did we ever do that?" They took me to Renaissance Fair when I was a kid. Um, they took me to see Star Wars and, um, and they took me to Disney movies. And those, those, those are all part of my, my great nerddom that I, that I proudly, proudly display. <laughs> you know, I used to take my kids to Renaissance festivals when they were little and my daughter liked them, but my son just, oh, you could tell he was really into it. Well, okay. So last year. He and his girlfriend flew over from Big Island, Hawaii, and they worked a Renfest. Nice. He went to work at a Renaissance Festival. He started talking about it like a year beforehand. He's like, Mom, Mom, remember how much I used to love going? I think I want to work one. You know, because mm-hmm. he spins poi and he juggles fire and he likes the clothes. And so, like, he runs a, he helps run a clothing booth, like a Renaissance clothing booth. And then when he's off hours, he's, he juggles and spins fire and spins poi and gets, you know, puts on performance street performances in the renaissance festival village and then they had so much fun doing the fall uh fall rotation of it that they stayed a couple of months and did the spring rotation so he's wow. you know some of that stuff really takes yeah 
Yeah, well, I know some people, that's their life. I mean, they, they travel the country. I follow a couple of the musical groups that I like, and they travel the country going fair to fair. Yeah. And that's, that's their life. It's what they do. It's how they make a living. Seems like it'd be a bit of a hard living. Um, and <laughs> a very, very hippie lifestyle, which some, a couple of the redheads in our group probably would enjoy. <laughs> I would love it. But um, just, so I bought a horse when I was in veterinary school that was used to breed those horses that they use for jousting. Mm. So oh. they would cross a great big heavy horse with my thoroughbred. And um, then it could run faster and be a little bit more nimble. But yeah, it, they were amazing horses. And I got to know some of those people. It was a really interesting lifestyle. Wow. Wow. That's kind of cool. It was cool. Yeah. Boy, the things we learn about our, our podcast hosts. Fascinating. All right. Well, speaking of the podcast, we should probably get, get back to our podcast. Um, we are starting out this week in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. And so. Uh, we've been we've been talking about Daniel for for a few weeks and and his visions that he's been seeing. He's seen very different aspects of what's happened with the Babylonian Empire at this point. At this point, he's not really in the Babylonian Empire anymore, is he? Because it went from Babylon. Now he's in the Medo-Persian Empire. He's still serving uh, those kings. He, he was serving Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, Belshazzar in Babylon. Uh, but then it went to Darius and Cyrus now in, I don't know, refused to mostly as Persian, but it was uh, Medes Mede, yeah, Mede and Persia. I don't quite get how that works. But anyway, so so we're in there. And in our last session, we were talking about in chapter 10, Daniel's having another vision where this, I'm going to call it an angel. We We talked about, is it an angel? Is this an incarnation of Christ? I don't know because. Chapter 10, it was very specifically talking about uh, the angel Gabriel. This one doesn't give the being a name. There was well, it some... doesn't have to because it's a continuation. Well, right. right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I guess I should have said from chapter 9 when we were talking about Gabriel, not chapter 10. But chapter 10 and 11 is all is all a message being given to Daniel from... A being who shares some of the similarities in in description. Not 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 like an exact, but something's very similar to kind of what we were seeing with Ezekiel and his his uh, pizza mushroom pizza LED, LED mushroom don't, pizza visions that he was don't, having. Don't put LSD on your pizza, right? That. <laughs> if you want to know what that's about? Go back and find those episodes. Interesting stuff. So it's, it's the basic descriptions of, of Christ that we hear periodically through the Bible all the way up into Revelation, you know, like, you know, eyes like lightning and then like, you know, wearing a white linen robe and then skin like bronze. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of that general stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was raising some question to us about who exactly is talking to Daniel in this. And it's not super important. It's just a matter of of interest where we're going, hmm, this is, this is kind of kind of interesting. And I don't know, you know, it doesn't soup. It doesn't matter greatly. We understand that this is a this is a being from heaven that has been sent to or has come to Daniel to give him information. And. So we have gone, we had gone in chapter 10 up to the point where the Medes and Persians then would then uh, be taken over by Greece and Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great's kingdom would 
be divided into four kingdoms. Four of his generals would rise up, take power. Alexander's power would end there. He it, he would not have any succession from his children or anything like that. It would simply be that his kingdom would divide. It's still Greece, but at that point, then we don't have one central ruler. It would seem that it would seem like they got kind of divided up. And so now when we get into chapter 11 and chapter 11, actually it's a continuation from 10 and it's all this, this heavenly being relaying things to, to Daniel. And now he starts getting into these Kings of the North and the South. And this is where my perception of things is just muddled the content my context is like straight out the window here because this seems to me like we're getting into a very specific nitty-gritty of things that's happening i'm guessing within this empire but it i don't know it feels to me like it's not it's like the region i don't know i don't know but we got these these kings of north and south that we have this back and forth going with them I don't know. Is there anything about these kings in North and South that we know before I really get going? So I think this is helpful. We had the big outline prophecies previously in two and seven and eight. And so we knew where we were with Babylon, Medo-Persia, and then now Greece. And so we looked in our last podcast about how verses four and five very specifically refer to Alexander the Great. And then it gets a little muddled although you can figure it out with careful scholarship. But when you get down to verse 22, you have an anchor point. And I think this is super, super helpful because in verse 22, it says, and with the arms of a flood, they shall be overthrown before him and shall be broken. Yea, also the prince of the covenant. And we had previously seen in Daniel chapter nine, that the prince of the covenant is a reference to Christ. And also here, the word prince is different from the word prince that's used in other places in Daniel. So whenever he's referring to a normal political prince, Daniel uses the word sar. The, um, so he uses the word sar. And then in whenever he's referring to Christ, he uses the word nagid. And nagid is the word for the it's similar to messiah or the anointed one it means the prince of the covenant and so the reason i want to point that out even though i jumped to 22 is that we have sort of a historical framework in which to deal with so verses 6 through 22 are going to take us from the greek empire through all these hellenizing kingdoms so you remember historically uh, alexander brought what, what was called Hellenization. So it was bringing Greek culture down on all of the Middle East. And these people were learning the language and the culture and the law structure, et cetera, all through this time. And you have the rise and fall of these various kings. But by the time we get to 22, the Roman Empire has arisen and Christ is crucified under the Roman Empire. So I don't know if that's helpful, but to me, it was helpful to know that there's at least something very specific. That's mm-hmm. super helpful. And with that in mind, in our last um, episode, we had run into a question about where where the angel it tr- spends three weeks trying to get to Daniel's side 
to answer his questions. And the reason it takes him three weeks. So if you remember, is it, I think it was in chapter eight or something like that. The angel is dispatched to fly swiftly at the beginning of Daniel's prayer, which lasts for 15 verses. And by the end of Daniel's prayer, he's there. Hey, I've arrived. God said to come, right? But in, in last in the last episode that we recorded, the angel took three weeks. Well, Daniel is so confused by what he's seen that he's just lying in despair on the ground, not eating or drinking or doing the things he should do to care for himself for this entire three weeks. Like, where's my answer? Where's my answer? I'm so confused. And when the angel shows up, he says, I, I was on my way, but I had to stop and fight the prince of Persia. So which prince is that, Amy? Did you ever look? I never thought to go back to the original language and see if it was a different word for prince. That might have answered that question. Interesting. Amy, you're muted. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, Karen, unfortunately, I never thought to look at that, uh, to look at that specific question. So shoot, I'll try to I'll try to look at that. So the way I'm getting this is that we are seeing we're seeing some very specific stuff being given to us during the time of the Greek Empire, which at the time Daniel's been given this, this Greek empire, or at least what we're reading about in the Greek empire, has not happened. So Daniel is being is seeing things that, and he's being told things, I should say, he's being told things that are to come from his perspective. And they're very specific things that, 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 that are going on here. And this is where I will uh, rely on my historians here to to help with some of this stuff because because my knowledge is is gone. Well, not gone. It's non-existent on this stuff. Well, there's a lot of talk about that, these kings of the north and the south. Verse six talks about how these kings of the north and the south are going to join forces, and the daughter of the king of the north is going to make an agreement with the king of the south. Now, the notes that were in my Bible, and you can tell me if this jives with what, what you guys know about it, that this was, this this daughter would have been, um, I believe her name is Bernice, daughter of Ptolemy III, marrying Antiochus II. Those are names that have no relevance to me at all, other than I've heard of Ptolemies. I've heard of Antiochus, uh, but I don't really know anything about him. So these, this is a tragic story. I mean, this, this happened historically in, in about 250 BC. Ptolemy decides to marry, um, you know, his daughter off to this um, Syrian king. And uh, he already has a wife. And her name is Laodice. And as part of the deal, he has to divorce Laodice. Antiochus and Bernice have this baby boy, but actually it turns out Antiochus doesn't even like Bernice. You know, they, they just can't get along, whatever. He misses Laodice. And so when her father dies, Antiochus divorces her and he takes Laodice back. Um, but Laodice has now lost complete trust in her husband and she arranges for the murder of Antiochus, Bernice and the baby boy. And so, you know, even though it's sort of cryptic in the scripture, what's going to happen. The scripture is pretty clear and, and it fits, definitely fits with this story that happened. And, you know, this murder that takes place when they try to make an alliance. So they try to make this alliance that's going to unite these two Hellenistic powers. And instead it ends up in this sort of gross, uh, adulterous, murderous situation. Hmm. I just thought I would throw this in. She was talking about the murder. Um, actually, the the wife poisoned him. Fun. Yeah, they were into the poison kind of thing back then. 
Fun, fun. A miserable way to go. Not not quick, not swift, but pretty uh, pretty painful. Uh yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I yeah. Poison. Calvin and just... I, Calvin and I have had this discussion before. You know, because women always they always say women are poisoners. Mm. But I tell him, no, no. I'm much more of a in your face. If it's going down, it's going to be you know hand to hand combat. <laughs> He realized this is forever now. So if there's anything that comes up questionable, they're going to pull our podcast and hear your voice saying that. I've heard that too. You know, poison is is a woman is a woman's weapon. And I've always thought to myself, well, yeah, because if you don't have the physical brawn, plus if you're passive aggressive enough to want to sit there and watch it happen, nice and slow, like, well, yeah, there you go. Hmm. I myself have always thought I would take a more jail-like approach. So. Make your dinner, have you curl up with a nap for a nap, and then, yeah. Well, it, it sort of fits from another aspect of something I've heard in the past, and I don't know I don't know if it's true, and it's uh, rather a, a grim thought, but generally, <laughs> if women are trying to commit suicide, generally they will do an overdose where a man will be more likely to use a more direct uh, uh, method. Um, oh, so it even go follows through to self-harm, huh? Uh, that's what I've heard. Um, I don't know. You know, and, yeah. And for the in the case of the women in in the uh, this is so aside. I don't know, but that that <laughs> that a lot of times with the with the with the poisoning of themselves, the women are more in a crying out for help situation. It sort of would possibly give them an out. Where if a guy shoots himself, it's it's fast, it's quick, it's direct, and it's done. Uh, well, this thing was crying out after he got poisoned. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever thought listening to a biblical podcast could lead to a murder-suicide discussion. But, so you know, I, just, I just need to throw this out here because I don't sleep well, and I'll tell you why. It's because Gina likes to watch these these, these shows <laughs> like Snap and everything like that. And, and it's the women that do it, and they're usually nurses. So I've told all my staff at work, I was like, if I die under shady circumstances, I want you to check every orifice because Gina's a nurse <laughs> and she likes the shows. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. Oh gosh! Oh this gosh! Recovering alibis <clears throat> and incriminating evidence. Well, you know, the Bible is not a clean book. It is not, you know, it's not a, it's not sunshine and 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 daffodils all the time. And it talks about some some very grim subjects. And so, you know, if it makes us, if it if it brings us to thinking about these other aspects of of the human condition. Uh, I think it's probably by God's design. So anyway, we're so far off topic right now. Well, I thought maybe I could bring us back by reading verse go. seven. Um, <laughs> yeah. But out of a branch of her roots shall arise one who will stand up in his estate, which shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail. Well, Bernice's brother, which would go. be a branch from her roots, sought to avenge his sister's death and so he invades syria and he took control of the capital so that fits and i mean there may be some disagreement about that but but that is uh what a lot of people who have studied this have come to the conclusion of you know so it's kind of interesting yeah and that would be ptolemy the third your greedies i'm probably not saying that right but yeah that's him bernice's mm -hmm. brother right right Interesting. So you're saying that you, uh, 
that guy. Oh, I see. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a chart in my Bible and it's got Ptolemy the third and I'm going to your, your Gates. Yeah. Gaties. That dude, the brother, that dude, it has them like in the same box, uh, mm. almost, uh, from 246 to 221 BC. So, um, it is, it is really hard to study this era because they all have two names. So they have the names historians have given where they keep numbering them. And then they have the names they called themselves. Cause they were like, you know, I'm going to call myself son of the deity or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same thing like okay. the Egyptians did. Yeah. Yes. They, they want to attach themselves to a God all the time or somebody like Ramses. Okay. How many Ramses can you possibly have? But um, right. it's just a way to kind of boost their, their ego that they're going to bring the same glory to their kingdom that these, their predecessors did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, their ca- and their cachet, it gives them a societal weight going forward. Yep. Like, this is, this is one of many, look how nice and consistent and strong their leadership is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Chapter 11 is very specifically dense in information. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and, um, you know, there was something in, in the last chapter. It was, it was, if you remember reading it, Daniel, I don't think we necessarily talked about it, but where like the angel said, it was like, because you have, I'm fair paraphrasing because you've tried so hard to understand, I'm here to give you understanding. And so it's like, if if you if you really really want to understand this stuff, you can dig in, and and and, and get the context of it. And uh, some of us have been better at that than others. So then, these sons of the northern kingdom it says are going to stir things up, and one of them is going to overwhelm the other. Overwhelm things here. I have a question. This might be dumb. What? Which kingdom are we in now? Is this where? Is are we still in Greece? I think so. No, yeah, I don't think it's a... when it's talking about the kingdom of the north and south and whatever. Is that talking about when Greece was split into four? Right. So, so um, I my understanding is that it's it is split into the four. So Macedonia, Asia Minor, um, Syria, and Egypt. But then Syria and Egypt um, become stronger and stronger. And the other two, Macedonia and Asia Minor, they become sort of minor kingdoms. And and the power structure shifts back and forth between the king of the north, which, which would the, be Syria, the Syrians, and then king of the south, which is the Egyptians. Or Egypt. the right. And, and if I remember correctly, it, in the goat, in the vision with the goat where the little horn comes up and disrupts one of the, or is it the ram that has four horns? Uh, it was the ram. Yeah, it was the ram. So the so takes over, and then four horns, and then one little horn comes up and disrupts, and that was Rome taking over Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Right. So the power structure shifts here somewhere, but I'm not sure where it shifts. Like one of them comes up, so that the little horn arises during the latter part of this time. And so then just before Christ, Rome seizes power and becomes the king of the north. Yeah, okay. But for this chapter, for what we're reading right now in these early stages, the king of the, the king of the north is Assyria and the king of the south is Egypt. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Mm. I would say so. Would you guys agree? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, by the reading, otherwise it's like the king of the north and the yeah. king of the south and then the king no. of the north this and the, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're 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 you're, you're spot on. You got to kind of know what's going on here cuz 
because uh, it is a lot of information that gets thrown at you. And if you don't know who we're talking about, it's just information with no context. And it's and it doesn't uh, doesn't make a lot of uh, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't come across as being very informative if you don't know who we're talking about. Well, and remember, too, it's it's mainly focusing on the fact that the the Jewish people uh, who are, you know, the people of the covenant are being handed back and forth between these these various kings. And so Jerusalem is in the middle of Syria and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And this is all happening during the Greek Empire. Yes. Yeah. So it's so it's like it, it's sort of an aside. I mean, got we got that we got that overall vision of what's going to happen with the greater powers that are going to uh, be influential through time with, you know, Greece and then Rome over to the side are other things that are happening like China, which we know is a whole thing all of its own, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily coincide. It do, I shouldn't say coincide. It doesn't, it doesn't have bearing specifically on the, on the story being told in scripture. So but then within the within what's going on in the Greek Empire, then we have all this the skirmishes back and forth between Syria, then that we said Syria or Assyria. Syria. Syria and Egypt. Well, um, so I have a note here. So I feel like it's probably going back and forth between Syria and Egypt, like we talked about. But then we have a, a reference in 14, which might be a reference to the Maccabees. So the Maccabees led a revolt against the various Seleucid kings, so your Syrians. And in those times shall many stand up against the king of the south. Oh, no, that says south. And also the robbers of thy people shall exalt themselves um, and establish the vision, but they shall fall. So I have a note that says that that is a reference to the Maccabees, but I thought the Maccabees fought the so I must be confused. The Maccabees fought the Syrians, not the not the Egyptians. So then looking through verse 16, but he that cometh against him shall do according to his own will and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land, which by his hand shall be consumed. And I have a note that that says that's the coming of the Romans with Pompeii. What do you have, Tracy? Anything? You know, I was just... Uh, I was baffled in this one. I was trying hard to follow it along, so I don't have anything at this point. <laughs> yeah, my my it notes. Are... Stuff. It was it was a swirl. Right? Yeah, it is. It's it's a lot thrown at us all at once. Okay, so I went and <clears throat> I went and dug out a, a reference book while we were talking here, just to try to put some lay some history on this. So, looking at verse fourteen. Oh, I don't know if I can say these words right. So this is the this is the verse that we were just reading. In those times, many will rise up against the king of the south. Okay. And then um, the notes here say, Egypt was disturbed by seditions. And the Alexandrians caused, where's the guy's name? Agathocles, who's the prime minister. His oh. sister, his mother, and their associates to be put to death. At the same time, Philip of Macedon entered into a league with Antiochus to divide the dominions of Ptolemy between these. Okay. Anyway, so there were there were local localized seditions going on in Egypt. 
See, and I'll, I think I'll do it, including the death of the prime minister and his family. This is where I was kind of confused because the Ptolemies actually were part of the dynasty in Egypt mm -hmm. when they took over there. So Ptolemy the right, fourth right. was considered the king of the south then. So that's where I was kind of confused. But Antiochus was the king of the north, Antiochus the third, and then. So I guess Ptolemy was trying to recapture, was it Palestine? But he was also in charge of like killing 4,000 Jews in Alexandria. So, so this one says- so Are they in says, Egypt, in Alexandria? Are we talking about the Ptolemies? Or are we talking about trying to conquer more area is where I'm kind of, it's like a swirl. So I'm not, it's like a I, bad so I like opera. that, like a swirl. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so here's the, here's the opening sentence. And do you have the timeline of the Antiochus one, two, three, whatever there? No, I just have that okay. it was like 217 BC. Okay, so this one says Antiochus Magnus was not the only one who rose up against the infant Ptolemy. Agathocles, his prime minister, having possession of the king's person because he was an infant, and conducting the affairs of the kingdom in his stead was so dissolute and proud in the exercise of his power that the provinces which before were subject to Egypt rebelled. Right? So that's the that's the stuff coming into being disturbed by seditions and the Alexandrians rising up and killing the prime minister. This is the prime minister that had control of the infant king Ptolemy. Which which Antiochus did you say? Antiochus Magnus. Okay. And that's the father of Antiochus Epiphanes. See, um, that is another timeline of Antiochus Epiphanes of Syria. He was from 175 to 164 BC. But we were just saying that this whole drama started in 217 BC. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. So I just don't want us to feel too bad about this. There's a church uh, associated with Andrews University in Michigan, which has been studying Daniel chapter 11 for four years, one <laughs> chapter. So we don't need to feel too bad if we're yeah. getting a little bit confused. Like high level <laughs> scholars study this stuff in depth and are still like, I don't know. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Now my yeah. brain's floating since we delved into it for the last 30 minutes. Great. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I thought so, I was getting somewhere. Thank you. Well, look at look at verse twenty. That's interesting. <laughs> so we've already established that Pompey has taken over in verse sixteen, and so we know now that we're dealing with the Roman Empire. And one of the reasons we know that is chapter twenty-two says that the Prince of the Covenant, which again was that special word for prince, which is Nagid, has you know he uh, he's crucified in that time. But look at verse twenty. And there shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes um, in the glory of the kingdom. Well, that's interesting because, of course, in the New Testament, we hear that the reason that Joseph went back to Bethlehem was that he all the world had been sent back to their hometown to be taxed. Right. Um, so that gives us another anchor point where we can look and say, OK, well, that was Caesar Augustus because he, you know, so we do have a Roman telling everybody, go to your hometown. It's time to be taxed. And that's a huge timeline, though. That's what I kept kind of looking at here. Because we've got all the way, what did we say, 217 BC, 160, 175, and 164. And now mm -hmm. Augustus Caesar takes us all the way to 14 AD. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, you know, honestly, I think, to, I think to give this the thorough study that it deserves, which obviously is more than one podcast session, this is enough to just scramble my brains a little bit. I think I would need to actually create a timeline of the different rulers, particularly since the rulers often have the same name. Right, right. Um, I would, I would need to lay that out it just, and just make a timeline in order to see, just go through it verse by verse figure out where we're at in history and lay it out. I think that would be the only way that I could really get my brain around this. Yeah. Matt, Matt you gave, yes. or you uh, referred Calvin to that cultural, uh, whatever it's called, Bible that you mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. And it has that. It has that timeline uh, in the section on the intertestamental period. Let me see here. Well, I'm looking at this one I have, okay, for, for this. It talks about... It's showing it's showing a succession through the Ptolemies on one line. Uh, it begins with Ptolemy the first on one line. The other line begins with I don't know if I'm saying it right, Seleucus the first. Um, so if the Ptolemies are in Egypt, you go Ptolemy the first through Ptolemy the sixth. So that would start in uh, let's see, 323 BC with Ptolemy the first, ends in 146 with Ptolemy the sixth and then on this the Seleucus so this would be the the the, the Syrians right beginning in his reign Seleucus the first in 311 BC and it goes through it comes down through Seleucus goes into Antiochus the first then the second that's where we have that uh, that 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 triangle between Antiochus and Bernice and Laodice. Is that how you say her name? I think so. Um, from Laod Laodice, then it goes into Seleucus the second. There things split off into Antiochus the third and Seleucus the third. Then you get the, another line here that splits between the Antiochus third, fourth, and fifth. Um, and that line goes to 162 BC. And then on the Seleucus side of things, uh, it goes down to 150 BC. So do you have a way to do you have a way to take an image or images of that and post it alongside the podcast? Probably not. Maybe not legally, but we can try it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, I think this yeah. is interesting. If you think about Daniel chapters 10, 11, 12, mm -hmm. it's no wonder it's confusing because it covers the Persians, oh, the Seleucids, and the Ptolemies. Imperial Rome, the crucifixion of Jesus, yeah. Papal Rome, the Inquisition, the Crusades, the Reformation, the Great Awakening, the end of time, and the resurrection. Um, so much. So much. And so, like, tr to Tracy's point, that's a lot of time. And we're like these yeah. little finite creatures who can only absorb a tiny bit of information at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... With that, and for this, for the speaking of time, for the sake of time, and before we lose all of our listeners, going, <laughs> what are we talking about? Because you know, we're 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 very honestly saying we're not one hundred percent sure. Amy, you seem to be the most knowledgeable on this. Would you feel comfortable just like hitting hitting high points through the rest of Daniel eleven so that we can get into twelve? Oh, uh, okay. Um, so we have this being then or this group remember we have the big timeline prophecy so that's going to help us and so after <clears throat> the crucifixion of jesus it says that there will be uh, someone who arises that's going to prosper with a small people and he's going to corrupt with flatteries 
and he's going to speak marvelous things against the God of gods. He's, you know, and so we're getting this idea, the same idea as what we saw with the little horn. Um, and so that little horn power rises with deceit and also blasphemy. So that was sort of the identifying thing about that little horn power is it's a blasphemous power. Verse 31 is particularly interesting. And arms shall stand in his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary and shall take away the daily sacrifice in its place shall be an abomination that makes desolate. And so a lot of people have said, oh, that's Antiochus Epiphanes. And he did sacrifice a pig, you know, inside the temple, temple precincts and he was worshiping Zeus. Oh my. Um, right. And so, um, you know, there's a famous story about the, that's where we get Hanukkah and stuff because the Jews rebelled against that and stood up against him. Um, and so it's an important story and it's a super interesting story full of, you know, great heroes. You know, there's this old man who jumps forward and slaughters uh, the, the, the man who actually conducted the sacrifice, you know, and the guy's like 80 when he jumps forward and kills this other guy. So it's a really important story, but it's not the same story that the Bible is referring to. So in Daniel eleven thirty one, it says that they shall um, make an abomination that makes desolate and so people think that that was that Antiochus Epiphanes but then if you if you notice Jesus says in Matthew 24 when you see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet well remember at this point so Antiochus Epiphanes has been dead since uh, Tracy you said it I think 187 BC so 187 years before Jesus is even born Antiochus is dead so it can't be him can't be that right so that's helpful to me. And um, so I was so, looking at that one. Yeah. Just because I was looking at 31 and I have this in my notes that I went back and I was looking through another book that I have. And it's saying actually that pollute of the sanctuary was when in time, I think it was, oh, I can't remember the date now. Um, but when Rome actually substituted the mass and the confessional in place of Jesus's ministry. So That's there was saying that he was no longer the intercessor, that you needed an earthly intercessor to do that. Oh, That's well, that way in the future then. That's, that's I mean, not our future, but. Right. So, so it's like in the 400s. And yeah. They, yeah. And they, they, you know, put in this vast system of beliefs and practices that says you have to confess to a priest. Right. Blah, blah, blah. And so that's referring back to those time prophecies that we already studied, yep. you know, the 1260 years. Interesting. Well, and then it makes a big jump. Oh, go ahead, Karen. I didn't say anything. Oh, oh, that was reverb of me, I guess. Um, if you jump down to verse 40, it says, and then at the time of the end, shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north come against him like a whirlwind. And, yeah. and then it goes on to describe like essentially the time of trouble. And, and so we have another very large uh, change. So, interestingly we're also told you know daniel is told here at the end seal up the book um this is at the end of 12 but we're told that at the time of the end uh the book will be unsealed so i think that's super interesting because understanding of daniel has been progressively more understood boy that sentence didn't even make sense um <laughs> since okay so at the time of the end we have increased understanding of the book of Daniel and and here it says at the time of the end is clear down at verse 40 so this time when this power 
that makes the abomination that makes desolate. It's already lost its power. Um, I'm not I'm not making much sense, Matt. You put me too much on the spot. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I I did. I don't I don't mean to I don't mean to muddle things. It's just there's there's a lot here. There's so much here. So I Um, I think I can jump in just a little bit at this point in history, like from I'm I'm pretty solid when you start getting to the 16, 1700s and stuff like that. I I know more. And my recollection is that in the very, very late 1700s, the Pope, right? So if we're talking, if the abomination was putting the confessing your sins to a priest instead of to Christ sort of system went into place, then you're Mm -hmm. talking about the Pope's power. If that's the abomination, then the time when it went away, that was in 1798, if I remember correctly. The Pope was taken into captivity and he was like sent out to an island and there he sat. And he eventually got out of there, but he didn't go back into power, if I'm remembering that right. So that was that was kind of the end of that that huge upsurge in power that resulted in the Dark Ages for people. Like the Bibles are not printed in your native language and they're chained to the walls and you can't own one and you can't read it. And you have to wait for a priest to read it to you and interpret it. And then that same priest is who you confess to. And they're the ones that define sin and they're the ones that forgive sin, right? That's a huge lurch from the way God created worship and reconciliation to go. We're supposed to be able to put our heart to his, right? And instead there's this human system that was that intervened. And that human system, it, of course it takes a while to clean up and it takes generations, hundreds, even thousands of years to restore proper thinking. But that human system reached a sudden interference in the late 1700s. See, then I was looking at, I have a big swirl on my chart. When I was saying swirls, it is because I have like arrows all over my notes. But <laughs> if we go back to like 1129 is they threw in, in you know, everybody knows now by now I like Egypt. So what happened is, is that they, they threw into the point where Egypt was basically saying, you know what, we no longer like observe God. So almost like an atheistic approach to it. And when you go into... I'm trying to look and see exactly here. So it was 29 or wait, no, yeah, 29 towards the South Pharaoh. I know not Jehovah is basically what he's saying to take that that atheistic approach. But then you go to to 1140 and it's kind of like what Karen was talking about, about France and the revolution saying, you know, yeah. what? we don't know what God what God you're talking about. So it's that big like connecting of the dots coming full circle. Sure to be exactly where we're at now so it's it's that huge tie-in and i think it's just a big i don't know machine there's and i'm using swirl a lot today because that's kind of how it is in my mind but it's just it's like closing all the circles here just to make it to to fulfill this prophecy yeah ties into them just totally going against god once again yeah 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 oh i I really love that especially because it does swirl together and that's how prophecy plays out in my mind it's like this swirling of great thoughts that i can't quite i mean yes you can make charts and you can do all this kind of thing but in reality it's just this this mind of god exploding with all this information about what history is going to look like and um and you guys said it so interestingly because that is what happens in seven times the bible mentions 
you know, this 1260 year period when this power, this blasphemous power is going to arise. I'm interested in verse 36. It says the king will do according to his will and he will exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. And he will say marvelous things against the God of gods. And then this is interesting. It says that he will not regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Uh, but he will magnify himself above all, which, I mean, this, it starts to get into some pretty uh, specific things about what that power will look like. And then Karen was bringing up the fact that, well, she was kind of halfway referencing in Revelation, the same power is referred to, and it says that it will be wounded. And then it says that the deadly wound will eventually be healed. And so that's what happened in 1798. You know, they lost all their power. And we're temporarily put on hold, but then the power will continue to regain itself and heal. The Bible says its power will be healed. This is um, this is big stuff, and I, I guess it gives me like the word five D chess keeps coming to mind. Because <laughs> um, this is all I mean, like this is where God says, "No, I'm God. I'm God of all the gods. Like I'm Lord of all the lords. Like I I say that something's going to happen, and it happens." And if you think that you can understand my ways or my thoughts, you are wrong. I'm higher than you, right? And so this is, um, yeah, this is this is a really good example of God moving pieces on the chessboard of the world to bring about the end of time and to guide the human race and to just move us through all the phases of history. And I guess the the thing that's that's really standing out to me right now is that all of these things come across as very unspiritual. Like these seem like secular issues. You know, occasionally you have a, a religious issue like setting up a religious institution that actually comes between humans and their their father God. But a lot of this is just like, well this king went and overthrew that king and like how does that tie into anything spiritual? And yet through all of this, every single person will stand before God. They will have had their their lifetime exposure to truth, whatever was available to them in that era, under that power, within the life that they lived. They will have had enough exposure to the truth to make a decision for their Savior as they knew him. And I find that absolutely fascinating because look at all the nuances of society. Like we're doing broad strokes here. Like we're barely even talking details. And yet within these broad strokes, there were millions upon millions upon millions of little tiny individuals that walked their own path to salvation or not and who God has judged and who like that's so amazing that he can retain sight of those itty bitty little people like us. Like at some point, you know, who knows how long the world is going to last, but let's say the world lasted another 150 years. Somebody could be looking back at Revelation and going, and then in 2022, this thing happened, right? And blah, blah, blah. And now we're waiting for these final steps. Like, we don't know how that's going to play out, but think about that. And, And like we would, at that point, we would be the people who had lived in history and we would be the people who had struggled to make sense of our contemporary place in prophecy and struggled to know God through the half blindness that we're, that we have. That's just, that's just, that stuff is just so fascinating to me. I think that's why I love it so much because it does tell me that it like, it's like when you read Tolkien or something and, and your own life becomes more interesting because you're there in the great story and you can see like Karen was saying, like 
we are there. We're in that story somewhere. And we're just mm-hmm. tiny little people. And yet the reality is that God knew about us ahead of time. And and this is this like this is the same, like I know how many hairs are on your head, God. This is this guy moving, moving nations and governments and telling in advance what's gonna happen. That's the same God that knows how many hairs are on our head. Yeah. So my greatest takeaway from this, because my head is spinning even from the things we've been talking about here. My greatest takeaway from this is God knew what was going to happen. He is he is giving Daniel visions, showing that he knows what's going to happen. And we can trust in that, even if we don't totally understand all of everything in uh, uh, chapter 11 here. Uh, saying that, are we comfortable that we've muddled things enough that we can move into 12 (laughs) very muddled um let me just read one text all the way back from daniel 2 really quick okay um so this is part of daniel's prayer praise be to the name of god forever and ever wisdom and power are his he changes times and seasons he deposes kings and raises up others etc etc see Mm -hmm. so there there you go like we're watching we're basically watching god in action yeah understanding that there's sin in the world and that everything that happens is not god's first choice for us he still knows and he's continually working within it yeah i love it that's a good that's that's a good way to say it Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so when we get into 12 and i think we're probably skipping some things in 11 but when we get into 12 things start to make a little more sense to me Because twelve chapter twelve begins with at that time Michael shall stand up. So we're starting to talk about some end time things now that are going to happen. You know, with Michael as Christ standing up and think and some of this imagery we're going to see here. These things make a little more sense to me. So eleven forty is pretty interesting to me because I used to struggle with this idea of the time of the end. And and you do hear a lot of people say, oh, well, everybody's been saying Jesus is going to come back, you know, my entire life and my grandparents' life and blah, blah, blah. But Daniel 1140 is important because it puts a specific idea to this, this thought of the time of the end. So for one thing, it talks about in uh, Daniel 12 that the book is going to be sealed. But then in Revelation, it talks about how the book will be unsealed. And it says that so it, to me, it's just really important to remember that there's a beginning to the time of the end, and it's correlated with this 1260-year period that we've been talking about. And I, I don't know, just somehow it's important to me to point out the fact that the time of the end is more like an era. And I know I've said that before, but I think it's very important for people's minds, because otherwise they get the idea that it's just going to be like a week or mm. something. Yeah, Yeah. that's good to restate that now because we're sort of plodding through these massive passing eras. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So 12 talks about Michael standing up, talks about a time of trouble. says a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Uh, And if we're talking end times and we are, you know, I I, I think we are all, and I think most Christians are in in, in an agreement that we are in some end times. And... Things seem ugly and nasty. This verse here tells me that we ain't seen nothing yet. Nope. Things, I mean, and when it says time of trouble such as there never was, the Holocaust. I mean, that that's a piece that baffles me. 
if we consider that things are going to get worse than they were during the Holocaust, that that is kind of terrifying. You know, how bad is it going to get? And so if we think things are if we think things are bad now, we should probably check check ourselves and, and realize that we probably still have it pretty good right now. But it does say at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who was found written in the book. I'm assuming this is talking about the book of life, which I think is specifically talked about more in Revelation. Um, everybody found in the book is is going to be delivered. And sometimes people worry about, like, how do I get into the book? How do I get into the book? But when you read things about the book, it doesn't sound like anybody ever has trouble being in the book. It's whether or not you have been taken out of the book. Uh, I, I think those are things that we find in Revelation. And so, so um, understand that God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you. He does everything he can to deliver you. And it's not a matter of getting in the book. It's a matter of staying in the book. Yes, very much so. And I, I think I, I remember uh, when I was getting my master's, a couple of my professors said, OK, and they, then they just made this announcement to the class at large. And they would say they would say, OK, don't know what your last quarter in school was like. Um, some of you may have, may have had a hard time. Some of you may have struggled. New quarter. You have an A. It's yours to lose. Mm hmm. Right. So the plan of salvation is there for everyone. Everyone is welcome. As many people are as on the earth, God has that many ways of reaching people and more. You know, he's got this 5D chest thing going on. And at the same time, he's keeping track of how much hair is on your head. Like this is a God who can handle you. He can he can reach he can reach you. And is it subtle compared to the noise of the earth? Yes, most of the time it's subtle compared to the noise of the earth because Satan is one noisy bugger. But is it there? Yeah, it's there. And it is salvation is yours to lose. Yes. You have an A. All you have to do is keep it. <laughs> right, right. That made me think about John chapter 15 where Jesus says, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me, I will be in you. And, and I just think that's super important because, of course, we are not going to be able to do righteously. We're not going to be able to fill ourselves with good works, et cetera. Um, but if we abide in Christ, he's going to dwell in us and, um, you know, make us kind and, and in tune with God and, and all these things. Like he will do the saving if we'll just abide in him. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't we talked about that before, about the kind of throwing the whole wrench in the once saved always saved concept you know like like karen was saying the a is yours salvation is yeah. yours to yeah. lose right yeah your voice yeah it seems like we 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 uh, maybe, maybe mainstream christianity has gotten something backwards here where it's like we start out uh lost and have to find salvation uh where it's more like, you know, as we grow and we lose innocence and we and we turn away from God, you know, we have to be willing to go back to him. But don't instantly think that you're just lost. You just maybe don't quite know where you are at the moment, I guess. Yeah, because not everybody is introduced to life with an understanding of God and salvation and everything else. Or, or worse, some people are introduced to life with the idea of God and salvation, but it's perverted by human intervention and corruption. I mean, there's like for, for every... And that's why I'm saying for every person on the earth, God has that many ways to save you. 
-hmm. And he, at times, he has to work around the noisy damage that humans have caused other humans in order for someone to actually hear his voice without all the corruption, right? So how many people have we met throughout the course of our life that are like, well, I mean, I like the idea of God, but the way I've seen it play out in real life isn't super attractive. I don't really want to be part of that. It's a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of human to human judgment. And mm -mm, no, that's, you know, mm -mm. okay. That's Satan making noise. That's Satan right. using fallen people to damage each other and get us in each other's way. God's got to work in and around and through all of that to try to show his clean beauty. That is a that is a large task, and there's a lot of subtlety involved in it. So it's a good thing he knows how to move nations around on the chessboard of the world because that's the kind of that's the kind of power it takes, I believe, to reach past the corruption that Satan has provided. So talking about this this time of tribulation at the end this time of distress or whichever translation you have, I actually believe that the time of distress will help people see God because it will help people look for God. So one, one set of responses that is made very clear in the Bible is that because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. That tells us that Satan creating noise and damage will have an effect. People will actually lose their salvation. The love of many will grow cold because of other people's lawlessness. So that tells us that Satan knows how to be effective. That also tells me, take your eyes off the noise. That's what that tells me. Mm -hmm. Take your eyes off the noise. Recognize it for what it is. Keep an eye out. Don't sit there like a squirrel in the middle of the road, unable to make a decision. Don't just sit there. Get out of the way if you need to but mostly keep your eyes higher, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like that. I like what Karen was saying about noise. It is, it's just Satan's noise there. And and I think when you could focus everything on God and just go with simplistically that his, he's here just to save. He wants salvation for everyone mm -hmm. and he will do everything to to make that happen. It's just we have to be willing to just look at him and not all the other noise that's going on around us. Yeah. That yeah. noise is intentional. That is not an accident. Yeah. Right. Yep. And he'll do everything he can short of forcing us into it. Mm -hmm. it's, it remains our choice. And that's where this book comes in. What choices have you made in your life? Have you chosen to stay with God? Because you're already with him. You're born with him. But have you chosen to stay with him? Or have you chosen to get your name taken out of the book? And so we really are talking about like when we're talking about end times, we're talking about like the end of the world end time here, because it goes right into talking about how many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, this is an interesting idea here because this would indicate that everybody will be resurrected, but under different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And the way I'm reading this here is those who are written in the book are the ones who raise to everlasting life. Yeah. Those who are not in the book raise to this uh, shame and contempt. And, um, you know, when we say everlasting or shame and everlasting contempt, this would indicate to me that these people, well, 
they're not in the save they're not in the saved group regardless of of, no. of, of what exactly that means well, uh, the, okay, so there's the parable of the sheep and the goats right in matthew 25 is one of one of jesus last parables before he goes to the cross mm -hmm. and so you know the sheep and the goats at the time of the second coming are separated the sheep go here and the goats go there and and they're and at that point the herds are made clear and that's that's what we're talking about here we're talking about the ultimate play out of our lifetime of choices and where we have ended up. Right, exactly. So those who are wise shall shine, it says, uh, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so if we're working, if we are working to help others to see the right decision to make, it seems like we get a little, we get a little attention in that. We get, uh, you know, I've heard people say stuff like, you know, you're going to get stars in your crown in heaven, you know, whether that's a literal thing or not. Um, the idea being that if we act as servants for other people to help them come to 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 come to this and make the right decision and stay in that book, we are. Oh, what word do I want to use? I don't want to use exalted, but we are we achieve some. I don't know, status maybe is what I would say. Uh, that's not exactly correct what I'm thinking. Well, okay, so in Revelation, it says that when God returns, when Jesus returns, he will reward each person according to their works, mm -hmm. right? So we're not saved by our works, but, our, but we're called to do works. So if you think about one of the other parables that Jesus told right at the end there, it's the uh, the parable of the talents, right? So the master is going to go away on a long trip, and so he gives investment funds. He gives this person his servants, right? So he gives this person this much, and he gives that person that much, and he gives this third person this third amount. All of those amounts are different because he's giving it to them based on what he knows of them and what he believes they can handle. They're given work to do at different levels, right? And then And then he goes away, and he's gone. And the servants are expected to work with what he gave them in his absence. And when he comes back, they are still his servants. If they did some work, then he's proud of them. The only time he's not proud of them is if they didn't do any work. Mm -hmm. So what we do actually does matter. Um, that isn't actually what I was going to say. I really like bling and <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about that, like like old streets and gates that are made out of pearls and like foundations made out of precious gemstones. Like I'm excited. <laughs> Sorry, I like. That's, I mean, I yeah. Mm -hmm. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, you're such a girl, Karen. Sorry. <laughs> also, I really, really, really want to know what I look like when I'm perfect. So I'm also vain, and so that's something I'm very curious about. <laughs> now, with my luck, now that I said that, I'll be ugly through eternity just to teach me a lesson. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, at this point in the in the book, and this is where Daniel is told to shut up the book. Um, so I don't feel too bad here about not understanding so much of what we've read because he's told shut 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 the book up because uh, I don't think I don't think they were necessarily supposed to totally understand what was going on here. And so, I, yeah, I don't feel terribly bad about it when he's divinely told, let's close this thing. You know, I think that's I think that's just telling because 
at this point, he doesn't even know half know the characters, the players in this in this prophecy. And it's just that's why I think it's just it it disturbed him physically, emotionally, mentally, because he can't put a name with the face because a lot of this stuff is in the future. And I think that's what makes it hard. So I think that's part of it is just saying, you know what, just close it for now. Know that you've, I want to say like written it down correctly to the best of your ability. And now we'll let it play out. There's a, there's a part in here that honestly is a little intimidating to me where, so it gets to the end of this, you know, Daniel shut up the words until the time of the end and whatever, but Daniel still has a question because he's upset. And he says, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Okay. Mm -hmm. So then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. So this is an angel that it shall be for a time, times and half a time. Okay. Now this is the part that like, woo, this is enough to raise the hair on the back of my neck says when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered all these things shall be finished yeah you know what i don't know that i've uh i've i've, I've noticed that part about being that is extremely a, dire sounding yeah i don't i don't know entirely what that means now the time times and half a time this isn't the first time we've heard that phrase yeah that's a reference to the passing of time i'm talking about like the rest of that like right. boy. yeah I'm super but, so is it a reference to the fall of Jerusalem? I don't know. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know. The book is the, that book is shut up, so I guess we don't know. But we have heard that time, time and half a times, knowing that we're talking about uh, year, two years, and half a year, and, and understanding that that's we're talking about a day, day to a year prophecy. And so when we take that, what we we end up with that. Um, how many how many how many total years is that in prophetic time now 1260 there you go thank you <laughs> so we we've had that reference before and if i'm not mistaken we determined that that time began with the decree to rebuild the temple right no the 2300 days okay, so is the one that starts with the right so yeah. no this is after the rise of the blasphemous power the 1260 oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The little oh, yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, anyway. No, it's okay. I, I get so confused too. I have to <laughs> like have it on paper. <laughs> well, ultimately speaking, this chapter basically ends with Daniel. Don't worry about this. In fact, in verse nine, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Stuff Just know that you wrote it down correctly. You, uh -huh. you did everything I asked you to do. Now you know what. Don't worry about it because it'll make you crazy. Like it yeah, does. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> there's a part of it that bothers me, though, because uh, verse 10, it says none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're going, I don't know. I don't know. Uh -oh. I don't know. Uh, but I think, I don't know, we understand well enough to know that we can understand it if we really, 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 really want to dig into into the into historical stuff here. But under, understanding that we we that we that God is in charge and that things are happening as they're supposed to happen, and and it, and it will happen in in that sense. Just real briefly, I had read a book, a really voluminous book called uh, "Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers," and 
this book is so fascinating because it shows throughout history how different various people interpreted prophecy. And what's interesting to me is that people did recognize themselves in prophecy if it had already been fulfilled. And so like the Waldenses became aware of the fact that the Scarlet Lady was the power that was persecuting them. Or, you know, and Martin Luther knew who the beast was, etc. And and so there were times when people did recognize specific things, even though this book was so difficult to understand in general. Mm-hmm. So I like verse 13, like with what you were saying, <clears throat> right? It's the final sort of reassurance. And this is the end of the book of Daniel, but like it's the final reassurance to Daniel himself. You've done your part. You can rest. When you rise, you will receive your allotted inheritance. But for those of us who are alive now and are looking at the earth sort of winding up and wondering if the time of distress is going to be soon, to me, there's kind of a reassuring verse in verse 10, where it says, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. All right. So the reason that that's reassuring is that if I find myself in the refining fire of God, then that means I'm on the right track. That means that he is trying to fit me for his eventual goals. Yes, yes. And I think that's, I think that's the most important takeaway from any of this. We don't, un, we don't have to understand all of the, all the little bits and pieces, the nitty gritty. I mean, there is a little bit more here talking about 1,290 days, 1,335 days. I don't know if we want to try to get into that. Uh, let's let's suffice it to say that what we're reading here in Daniel is going to be a reference point for us in the future. It's hard for us to discuss to discuss it simply from the perspective of Daniel, because as we get into other things, as we get into the New Testament, we get into some things in the Gospels, we get into some things in Revelation. We're going to be looking back at all this stuff. It's going to make more sense down the road. And so as we're trying when we're trying to just look at it with Daniel and try to see it through Daniel's eyes and not being, you know, alive during his time. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to, to have a total perspective on everything here. And so this is kind of where we're going to leave the book of Daniel. And I know that these, this last episode, these last couple of episodes have really been probably kind of confusing. I hope we haven't lost you. Um, Sorry. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, re, but just remember that these are things that we're going to come back to. And then, when we see them in relation to stuff that happens later, we're going to go, ah, okay, that makes a little more sense now. I don't think we have to understand all the stuff going on between Syria and Egypt. It's not super important. It's just a matter of saying God knew what was going to happen, and it's going to, it would have some bearing, but ultimately Greece goes to Rome, stuff happens, and, um, and then we get these pictures of the end times. There's your summary of... Uh... Daniel chapter 11. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so so with with that, uh, that is going to basically wrap up the book of Daniel for us. Now, next week, we're going to get into the book of Ezra. Ezra is a short book. Um, it looks like it's only what, like six chapters. Well, we'll determine how far we go. We will. Uh, we'll just we'll start studying the book of Ezra next week so you can so you can be reading ahead on that so while you're reading that and waiting for us remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org if you've got some insight on the stuff of chapter 11 let us know we'll, uh, <laughs> we'd love to hear it 
Uh, remember, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, make sure that you uh, share the podcast with your friends and family. And subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in the every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.